Well, guys, let's dive into our message this morning. In January of 2004, it's estimated that nearly one quarter of a million computers was infected in a single day with a computer virus. Now, computer viruses work in this way, right? Uh, they become and it becomes so commonplace in our day and time that most of us don't even blink an eye when we hear about another data breach or another uh, security risk that has happened. We've become so numb to hearing about all of these different things in the computer world. This company has been broken into or this thing has been breached. A computer virus often enters into a network, into a computer, by somebody opening an email, downloading a video, uh, an application. But once inside, that computer virus begins to do its work. It destroys the operation and changes the original design in a radical way, systematically impairing the results and making it, in, uh, making it not able to be used and used for the good that it was made for. It completely destroys the computer, oftentimes in the network. Well, friends, just like a computer virus, each and every one of us has been infected with the sin virus that unfortunately works very similar. And oftentimes, the good that we know that we ought to do, we don't do. And the very thing that we know that we shouldn't do is the very thing that we find ourselves doing. And we say, like Paul did, what a wretched man that I am. But as Paul said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, last week we began this new study looking at the life of Joseph. And we began to see how God's sovereignty was showing through the life of Joseph. Joseph uh, was inspired by God with a vision. He had a dream of future success. And as we saw last week, it almost killed him. <laughs> right? He had this dream of what his life was going to be like. And it almost brought his life to ruin. But we saw that God was shaping Joseph. Into the, from an immature little punk into a man of God that God could use. And we saw that not only was God shaping Joseph, but he also shapes us into the people that he wants us to be by inspiring us with vision, by uh, training us with service, by testing us with difficulty, and by breaking us with hardship. Well, this morning, we're going to learn through Joseph once again uh, how to identify the lies that are behind many of the common temptations and sin that all of us face. And then we are also going to learn from Joseph a, 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 a process in which we can use to resist temptation and sin, but we're also going to see the painful consequences of living true to God. So, if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Genesis chapter 39. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. We have some on the back table, so please pick one up as a gift from us to you. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word if you don't have one on your own. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible if you're looking for it, so it's all the way over to the left. Just open up the first couple pages and go to chapter 39 is where we'll be today. But as you are turning there, I want to remind you a little bit of what we saw last week. Uh, we saw this ugly episode between Joseph and his brothers, right? 
Joseph's brothers hated him, and it was fueled uh, by his own arrogance and immaturity, right? Uh, you know, he would take any opportunity he had to rub it in that he was daddy's favorite, right? Uh, and he would rub it in that he uh, had these dreams. Hey guys, guess what? I know you guys are older than me, but I'm going to be in charge of you one day, right? So he, he rubs it in their face, and they hated him even more, and so they plotted to kill him as they saw him approaching. What a great group of brothers. <laughs> Any of you have brothers? Yeah, all of them are like that. That's how mine is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but they decided not to kill him. Instead, they decided to sell him into slavery and then convinced their father that he was dead. Okay? And your brothers or sisters ever done that for you? Whew. Hope not. I hope not. Joseph had it bad. So he was sold into slavery, uh, and he was sold to a caravan of Ishmaelites, and they carried him down to the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph didn't realize it at this time, but not only was God working to shape his character and remove those character flaws that we looked at last week, but God was also placing Joseph in the exact place and time that he needed to be for God to use him. And so this is where we pick up on Joseph's story, where he is there in Egypt. So read along with me in Genesis chapter 39. We're going to start there in verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard, brought him from, or bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything that he owned. And from the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. So Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So after that ugly episode that we saw last week with his family, it looks like it looks like things are starting to turn around for Joseph, right? Uh, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, but God was with him, right? And, and everything that he was doing was was prospering. And then Joseph becomes the second in charge of Potiphar's house. Now Potiphar was a, a pretty important guy in Egypt. Uh, he was one of Pharaoh's guards and one of his uh, royal officials. And so, so Joseph goes from being left for dead to upper mineral management pretty quickly, right? Maybe he even had a Dodge Stratus, I don't know. Uh, he was driving, he was working upper mineral management. Joseph found success, though, in his new position, not, because, not only because of his hard work, but also because God was blessing everything that he was doing. And what we're going to see is that Joseph's character, those flaws had been worked out. And his character was beyond trustworthy. But it's his character that will soon not only be tested,
but it was going to be put on trial. Now, Potiphar's wife plays on one of mankind's most powerful enemies, the lust of the flesh. The desire for physical pleasure can be absolutely absorbing. Just try to fast for a day. <laughs> we give in to the lust of the flesh most of the time before the hour is out, let alone the day. And in Joseph's case, it was this state of deprivation that he was in that must have made the temptation so powerful. Not that anyone needs sex, but everyone needs love and affection. And how much love and affection do you think Joseph had being sold into slavery by his brothers? <laughs> he had been disowned by his family, left for dead. He probably didn't have a lot of love and affection. And the enemy considered him ripe. And yet Joseph is going to show us that he will stand firm and not budge and not give in to temptation. So, Joseph is put second in charge of Potiphar's house. Potiphar, as we saw, doesn't concern himself with anything except what he eats. He has trusted Joseph to take care of everything in his house. And so Potiphar's wife begins to make advances towards Joseph. Begins to try to get Joseph to come to bed with her. But I want you to look and see how Joseph responds to these advances. Look at verse 8. But he refused. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything that he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. And my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Potiphar's wife makes advances towards Joseph, not just once, but day after day. And day after day, Joseph resists the temptation. But then, one day, everyone else was out of the house. It was just Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. And she pushes even further. Look at verse 12. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. Look what Joseph did. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph resisted day after day this temptation, the advances of Potiphar's wife, and finally, when he couldn't resist anymore, he takes off running, fleeing from the situation. But then things get twisted. She twists the truth for a lie. She begins to tell the other servants and then her husband Potiphar that it was not her that was making advances on him, but it was he that was making advances on her. Joseph had done what was right. He had taken off running. And yet, Potiphar's wife twists the truth 
So Potiphar throws Joseph into jail. So here he is. He had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And even though he was a slave, at least things seemed to be turning around for the better for the moment. And then Joseph does what is right, what is noble, what is God-honoring. He resisted this temptation day after day, and then when he could resist it no further, he takes off running. And what does he get for it? He gets thrown in jail, even though he did what was right. Friends, I want you to think about for a minute if you were Joseph. If that was you sitting in the jail after doing what was right, how would you feel? Would you be second-guessing your decision? Would you be angry at your situation, and maybe even angry at God? Now, what was at stake for Joseph? What was at stake for Joseph was not only his character, not only his witness for the one true God, but more importantly, what was at stake for Joseph was God's plans for him. You see, if Joseph failed this test, well, maybe he wouldn't be caught. And maybe he would have stayed right there at Potiphar's house. And maybe he would have stayed in upper mental management and things would have been okay, right? But you see, God had bigger plans for Joseph. God needed him to be in this jail, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, so that God could raise him up, not just to be in upper management in Potiphar's house, but to become second in command of all of Egypt. So that when a famine came, Egypt would be prepared because of the wisdom that God gave Joseph. And so that Joseph could rescue his family that had disowned him and save them. And you see, God's plans are much bigger than just Joseph and his family. You see, because through his family line, a man named Jesus was born. And you see, if Joseph had failed this test, maybe, like I said, he would have been stuck there at Potiphar's house. Maybe he would have been caught, thrown into to jail, and his character tarnished. He could have got demoted but his entire future was at stake. This is going to become a critical victory in Joseph's life. If he doesn't prove himself faithful in this smaller thing, God would not consider him faithful for the larger task that he had ahead of him. Joseph's vision to become the ruler of Egypt and his vision and the ability to rescue his family later hangs in the balance of Joseph's decision that he makes. Friends, how many, how many people, how many people get ruined in the exact same way? Now, friends, God can and does redeem people. He he does redeem uh, the fallen, the broken, and he uses and he gives bright futures to those who have sinned and are repentant. And I, for one, am thankful because I, for one, am one of them. But how many of us far too often settle for a diminished future in exchange for today's pleasure? I fear that far too many of us do. So, 
how did Joseph, how did he fight this temptation day after day? What was his attitude in the midst of this temptation? What actions did he take? And what can you and I learn from the example of Joseph to this tough path of staying true? Well, I I believe we can learn a number of things. First, if we want to follow the example of Joseph to the path of staying true to God, then we first must fight. We must fight. Temptation must be faced down and defeated. In Joseph's case, he went to battle with the weapon of truth in two ways. First, Joseph was true to his relationships with Potiphar. Joseph resisted because Potiphar was his boss who had entrusted him with everything. And this woman was another man's wife, his boss's wife, right? Joseph had this position of responsibility and he understood that it was God alone who deserved his loyal affection. I want you to notice again how Joseph responds to Potiphar's wife in verse 8. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Right? He's pointing back to his responsibility that he's been given. He's, he's being true to his relationship with Potiphar. He does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph was true to his relationships, his relationship with Potiphar. Potiphar had entrusted him, and Joseph wasn't going to break that trust. But not only does Joseph fight this temptation with the true being true to his relationship, but Joseph also spoke the truth about this temptation and sin. Notice what he called it there. He said, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? You know, Potiphar's wife was probably trying to, to, to point out all the pleasures that it would bring. But Joseph speaks the truth about the temptation, doesn't he? He says, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? And friends, let me be clear. Our temptations, they may be different from Joseph's. It may not be adultery or sexual immorality that we are being tempted with, but we can use these same principles that Joseph used no matter what temptation or sin that we are facing. We can speak the truth in the face of temptation. In fact, this is what Jesus taught us, right? When Jesus was in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil, with, with every temptation uh, of being, being tempted with uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, how did Jesus respond? Each and every time, Jesus responds to temptation with the truth, right? Every time uh, a temptation is put before him, he responds with it is written. You see, Jesus trusted and used the truth of God's word in the face of temptation. Every temptation, Jesus said, it is written. Jesus responded to temptation with the truth of God's word, just as Joseph responded to this woman's advances with the truth about these temptations. How can I do this wicked thing and sin 
against God. Now, friends, here at Journey Church, this is what we say. We say that we want to grow in Scripture, that we grow by studying the Bible together. We increase our desire to know the inspired and errant Word of God and humbly obey its truth in everyday life. Friends, we grow in Scripture so that when we are faced with temptation and sin, we are able to know and speak the truth of God's Word to it. But friends, can I be real with you for a minute? Far too many of us aren't even trying to fight. We have just given in to sin and temptation. We don't even put up a battle. We, we try to just justify our actions. I mean, that's what our culture has taught us too, right? They said, oh look, there's no absolute truth. If it's right for you, then it must be right. Well, as Dwight from the office says, false. <laughs> Friends, God has told us the truth. And He's given it to us in His Word. He's told us the truth about sin. And the question that each and every one of us must answer, no matter what sin it is that we're facing, is are we going to trust what God has said or not? Friends, all sin comes down to that question. Are you and me, are we going to trust what God has said or not? It's been the same since the garden. What did the serpent say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? What did the devil say to Jesus? Hey, God just said that you are his son, so if you are his son, then do this. <laughs> Friends, no matter what sin that you face or struggle with in your life, no matter what temptations that you're facing, the question that you have to answer is, are you going to trust what God has said or not? God has told us in His Word in the Bible that sex outside of the covenant relationship of marriage, which God also has defined as being between one man and one woman for life, anything with sex outside of that covenant relationship with marriage, God calls sin. So, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that's outside of what God has defined for and designed sex for. And so it's sin. Sleeping with someone who's not your spouse, as Potiphar's wife was trying to get Joseph to do, is outside of what God has designed for sex. And so it's sin. No matter what you and I feel or think about the situation, God has defined and given us the truth. No matter what your friends tell us, no matter what video on TikTok or Instagram that you watch say about it, it doesn't matter. Because God has given us the truth. That anything outside the covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman for life is sin. Jesus takes it a step further and addresses not only our sin, but our hearts when it comes to the sin. When he said, you have heard it is said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Friends, anything outside of God's design for sex in marriage between one man and one woman 
including pornography, including emotional infidelity. Friends, a sin. And friends, if we are going to fight temptation and sin, then we must speak the truth about temptation and sin in the face of it. The truth is that whether it's sexual sin or lying or stealing or you fill in your blank of what sin that you struggle with, all sin comes down to are you going to trust what God has said or not? Let's learn from Joseph. Let's learn from Jesus to fight temptation and sin with the truth of God's word. Joseph fought temptation with the truth. He said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Friends, we can fight temptation and sin in the same way. We must speak the truth of God's word in the face of sin and temptation. But for us to speak the truth of God's word, then we have to know the truth of God's word. And in order for us to know the truth of God's word, well, guess what? You have to read the truth of God's word daily. Read your Bible daily. You know, one of our goals as a church this year is for us to be the Bereans, for us to examine Scripture daily. There was a study that was done recently by the Center of Bible Engagement, and they found that someone who engages in Scripture four times or more a week, that their life looks radically different than someone who doesn't. They found that someone who engages in Scripture, in the Bible, in, in reading and studying God's Word four times or more a week is 228% more likely to share their faith with others. They found that someone who engages in God's Word, in Scripture, four or more times a week is 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. They also found that someone who engages in Scripture four times or more a week is 59% less likely to view pornography. They also found that somebody who engages Scripture four times or more a week is 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Friends, it makes sense. Because when we are growing in our desire to know the inspired and errant word of God, then we will be able to know the truth of His word. And we will be able to speak the truth of His word, like Joseph did, and face and fight against the lies of sin and temptation. Friends, if we want to follow the example of Joseph and stay on the path that is staying true to God, then we must fight. Now, Joseph fought because he was pushed by his convictions. Joseph understood the truth about the temptation that he was being faced with because he was convicted as a follower of God. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing? And then what was the last part that he added? In sin against God. God. You see, Joseph understood that his sin was not just against Potiphar or not just with Potiphar's wife, but that his sin was against God. 
Joseph understood this. We saw this with David, right, when we looked at his life. Finally, after Nathan confronted the sin in his life, he understood this truth about his sin. In fact, he tells us this in Psalm 51. In verse 3, he says, For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, talking about God, and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Friends, Joseph was moved by his conviction to stay true to God and to fight against sin and temptation. If we want to follow the example of Joseph and stay true to God, we must fight with the truth of God's word. We must fight temptation and sin. We must be moved by our conviction. And then when we've done everything that we can to fight, being pushed by our convictions to stay true to God, then we must take off and run. We must flight. Joseph tried his best to avoid temptation. He did all that he could. And when nothing else could be done, he fled the house. And friends, in the same way, we need to be as drastic as necessary to fight sin. And sometimes for us to fight sin means that we have to flight means that we have to flee temptation. Look there again at Hebrews chapter 12. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Throw off everything that entangles us, the sin that so easily entangles us, and run. Joseph literally took off running, right? He he left his cloak behind and he just took off. He took off running. Kenny Rogers told us, you got to know when to hold them, right? And know when to fold them. And know when to walk away. And know when to run, right? Now he was talking about poker, right? You know, never count your money, watch sitting at the table, all that stuff. But, But man, friends, when we're facing temptation and fighting temptation and sin, we got to know when to walk away. And we definitely got to know when we need to run. Sometimes we need to run. When we've done everything else that we can to avoid temptation, sometimes we need to walk away, and sometimes we just need to take off and run. But friends, many of us have been sitting in our sin for far too long that we don't even know if our legs will hold us up, let alone move us away. And friends, honestly... We can't on our own. We weren't meant to or made to. You see, chapter 12 of Hebrews comes right after chapter 11 of Hebrews. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer gives us a list of men and women that have lived by faith and set an example for us. And and then chapter 11 is, 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 is built up by chapter 10 of Hebrews where the writer tells us not to give up meeting together as is the habit of some, but, but meet together and, and, and spur one another on to love and good deeds. You see, therefore, in verse 12, or in chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. You see, 
in order for us to be able to throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us, in order for us to be able to run the mark, the, the race that has been marked out before us, we need each other. Not only the examples of the men and women that have gone before us and showed us how to live by faith, but we need one another. You see, we can't do this on our own. We can't fight sin and temptation alone. We weren't meant to or made to. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we connect with each other, that we build strong relationships, walking side by side through the messiness of life with prayer, accountability, and encouragement. Friends, you can't do it on your own. You weren't meant to or made to. I heard a sad number this week that 67% of men under 30 don't have a single friend that they can call in a time of need. Men. Other men need you to step up and to be a friend. Women. Other women need you to step up and to be a friend. We need each other because we are better together. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to pray for each other. We need to encourage one another. If we are going to fight sin and temptation, then we cannot do it alone. And friends, life groups are an amazing place for us to find people that will come alongside of us and that will walk side by side through the messiness of life with us. Life groups are a great place for us to find people to pray with us and hold us accountable and encourage us. You know, one of the other things that sin, no matter what your sin is, does, is sin brings shame. And shame lies to you that you are, are all alone. This happened in the garden. Adam and Eve turned not only on God, but they turned on each other. They began blaming one another. Friends, if we are going to live true and follow the example of Joseph, then we need each other to walk through this messy thing called life. We must be able to speak the truth in the face of lies. Joseph shows us this path to stay true to God. And then he faced, when he faced temptation, we must face temptation with the truth of God's word. We must be moved by the conviction to remain true to God. And then when we can't fight any longer, we've got to know when to walk away. And we've got to know when to run. But friends, before you and I can start fighting temptation and sin, let me tell you, you first must die. To sin. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, this in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. No. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
Friends, won't you come today and die to sin once and for all? Come and be joined with Jesus in baptism. Come and be buried with Him so that you too can be raised to a new life. A life lived to God. A life fighting, battling, waging war against sin. Won't you come and stop conceding the battle to sin and let Jesus put it to death once and for all in your life? Won't you come today? I'm going to be out the lobby if you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and be baptized. Or man, call or text me anytime. I would love to talk with you about that. Friends, let's fight sin and temptation by speaking the truth. The truth of God's word in the face of it. Let's bind together with one another so that we can fight and when we need to, we can take off running. We pray with me? Father, we thank you for the example of your servant Joseph. We thank you that uh, you were working in and through him and shaping him into the man that you uh, could use for your glory and for your greater purposes. And Father, we too face sin, each and every one of us. And our sin may be different from each other, maybe even different from Joseph, the temptation that he faced. But Father, we can learn from his example. We can speak the truth of your word in the face of its lies. And when we've done everything that we can do to fight, we can take off running. Father, if there are those that are listening this morning who have never allowed you to put sin to death in their life, would you call them to yourself today? That they would come and come and, and lay their life down at your feet and meet you in baptism and put to death sin in their life. Be raised to this new life, a life that is is lived for you, a life that is lived fighting against the flesh, fighting against sin. Father, would you move us together to fight? You didn't make us to do this alone. So help, help us to connect with each other so that we can battle against this virus that we all are dealing with. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who has paid the price for our forgiveness. Father, we ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.